Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create Your Life family, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Before we get started, I wanted to share some exciting information from our sponsor. We only pick people and companies that we think are awesome to bring onto the show, so please support them. As a podcaster, I've spent hours and hours editing, doing show graphics, and much more, and I finally got fed up with losing all of my free time to post-production activities. So I decided to do something about it. And if you are a fellow busy podcaster who would like to just record and have someone else do the dirty work of graphic creation, tagging and uploading your show to your server and in-depth SEO generating show notes, go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. And today we have two more amazing guests. I'm super excited because these ladies have made history. You will find out all about the history that they've made during this interview. I know that they have jewels. I had the opportunity to meet them some time ago and we were trying to get on the same page and make it happen. And beautiful people, it's happening right now. Just to give you a little bit more insight about who we are bringing on these two queens. They are the founders of Minted, which is short for pigmented. And it is an upscale beauty brand for women of all hues, created to promote beauty, inclusivity, and provide a vast range of shades. Minted was co-founded by these young ladies when the two met at Harvard Business School. We believe, and they believe, that every woman should be able to find herself in the world of beauty. I'm asking you to please welcome Miss KJ Miller and Amanda E. Johnson. Amanda and KJ, please say hello to the Create Your Life family. Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> oh no, my absolute pleasure. So I want you guys to just walk us through this. I feel like there's a lot of beauty brands out in the world right now. So why Minted Cosmetics and why now? Yeah, good question. So this is KJ. You know, I think when Amanda and I had the idea for Minted, we were straight out of business school. We were working full time. We were in need of an everyday beauty routine, something that was simple, was quick, but also gorgeous and beautiful and complimentary to our skin tones. When we looked out on the market, when we went to the beauty counters and the drug stores and everywhere else, we came up short. We kept finding that there really weren't any prestige brands targeting us and doing so in a way that made us feel beautiful and doing so in a way that felt like an everyday beauty. What we were able to find was bold, fierce, bright, which is so often what makeup companies will try to sell to women of deeper skin tones 
tones because they assume, oh, what they need is a bright purple or a bright orange because that's the shade that'll show up on their skin. But mm. we didn't want to walk into our corporate offices in orange lipstick and purple eyeshadow. We <laughs> wanted nudes. We wanted neutrals. We wanted every day. And that's what we couldn't find. And so we set out to create it ourselves, quite simply, not because we felt like we were two beauty experts, but because no one else had. And mm. we didn't think that made sense. So that is why Minted. That is why now. And I think our success to date has shown that that message of everyday beauty geared towards women of color really is resonating. Okay. I love that. Can you walk us through the creation of the actual products? Like what does your product line look like right now? And did you all start off creating it yourself at home and then kind of venture out? Or do you have chemists? How does it go? I don't know how to create a beauty brand. <laughs> I'll walk you through kind of what we did in the beginning. And then KJ talk you through the products now, since she heads up product development for us. In the beginning, we were trying to solve the problem of new lipsticks for women of color. We went to the manufacturers to try and figure out what products did they have already in-house, what were their product development capabilities. And once again, they came up short. They really weren't able to make nuanced shades for women of color. They didn't understand the concept. And quite frankly, their minimums and you know the cost to work with them was way too costly for an idea that we were still very much working on. Like our type ourselves, we <laughs> figured out how to solve the problem ourselves and went online. You can learn any and everything on YouTube, including how to make lipstick. You can go on Google, order all the materials that you need, the dye, the wax, the hot plate, the mold, everything you need. And in our apartments over a year, we perfected the initial six shade collection. And that was us really trying to solve our own problem and then involving friends and family of different skin tones and different ethnicities to help solve the wider problem. And so what we ended up with was a really beautiful range of six shades that we launched with. So we launched with our original six shade collection. Since then, we've expanded quite a bit. Our focus is still lips. Really, these first two years, the big focus has been lips. So we've expanded the semi-matte collection. We've launched a matte collection of lipsticks. We've launched lip liners. We've launched lip glosses. I think it is safe to say that when you think of nude lips for women of color, Minted is front of mind for most women of color right now, at least in the States. And we feel really excited about that. But we've also started expanding into other categories. So our eyeshadow palette, which both of us are currently sporting, has mm -hmm. sold out, I think, three times so far this year. So we are starting to gain that credibility with our customer entering into other categories. And next year, you're going to see that expand a lot. And we're excited about that. Awesome. So just curious about your sales strategy. You say you guys sold out. So do you offer different products at minimums in order to create that demand? Or how do you guys go about doing it? It's never a strategy of ours to sell out. And that is a strategy I think we've seen other brands take to mm -hmm. order a really small amount of something so that they can say that the product sold out. Yeah. But I'm a former retail buyer. I don't like stock out. Like I know every time I stock out, that is a missed sale. That's a missed opportunity. Talk and you it. don't get most women or most people, actually, when something is sold out, you actually get a very small percentage of them to come back once it's restocked mm. to buy it, particularly in beauty, which is an impulse purchase. She's moved on. I don't revel in stockouts personally. We don't as a brand, but there really just was that much demand. And we had underestimated the demand. You know, we sort of did our first initial buys of that product the same way we did our initial buys of lipstick. And what we found was that there 
there was a lot more demand than we anticipated. So we're now back in stock and always working to stay in stock because as cool of a strategy as it may seem to be able to say something is sold out, I'd much rather have the dollars in our bank account. I would say if you're a beauty brand chasing trends, like it's okay to stock out because hopefully you haven't bought too much of whatever the latest trend in because it's here today, gone tomorrow. But we are an everyday beauty brand creating true staples. So we want women to always feel like they can come to us and get the products they want. It's a phenomenon that kind of happened a couple times this year, but not something that we plan for. But it's certainly a part of a lot of beauty brand strategy. And I think this year and last year to a certain extent because of different celebrity brands that is heightened. We'll see how that continues and plays out in other industries. I'm just not sure about the longevity of a strategy like that. So can you walk us through life as you were moonlighting, working your five to nine and doing your nine to five at the same time? And of course, being able to meet up and make sure that you both were building your partnership. Yeah, I'll just say, and a lot of times people ask us about this and the way we talk about it is the jobs that we had were the jobs we had to do. Minted was the job that we got to do. It was a lot of work coming home at night. I was traveling at the time. I was like a retail consultant. So I was traveling four days a week. And so I would be in my hotel room. I would work on my consulting work until midnight. And then at midnight, I would start on Minted. And I'd work on an investor pitch deck. I'd work on contacting influencers. We both were doing that to send them to see, can you take our lipsticks? Will you try our lipsticks? But it felt like something I got to do. It sort of like was, it gave me energy to get through the things that I had to do. Because it was like, once I get done with that, Mm -hmm. then I get to work on this thing that I'm super excited about. It really was energizing. It was tiring. But in a lot of ways, it was energizing. Yeah. weekends became minted, but that really was the fun part. Like we were looking forward to that even more because then KJ was back in the city and we could meet up and literally just work all day on a Saturday and look up and it was almost the next day. But that was the fun part. Gotcha. Okay. Just out of curiosity, you both met in business school, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like your MBA and the Harvard Network has helped you in your entrepreneur ventures? So I'll say this about HBS. I would have never considered doing a startup without it. It just wasn't in my sights. And it really was the conversations that I was constantly around at HBS that normalized the risk of a startup for me. It just seemed like this scary thing that rich people got to do because if they like lost, then whatever, there was some trust fund to pick them up. But it really made me think there are normal people out here trying to solve real problems and win or lose, it was worth it for them. And so without HBS, I would have never had the courage to do this. Yeah. And I'll say for me, I went into HBS knowing I wanted to run a startup and in fact had launched a couple before business school. Entrepreneurship had been on my mind for a long time. Mm-hmm. What I value about the MBA as with regards to this process is just like the network. And people talk about that all the time. But I definitely think for a startup, when you have to do so many different types of things, like if you just take a regular job, mm-hmm. you're sort of tasked with knowing a piece of that job, of that industry, and knowing it really, really well. When you start a company, all of a sudden, you have to know a million things that maybe you didn't have to know. You have to know marketing, you have to know retailing, you have to know inventory management, you have to know supply chain logistics, you have to know digital marketing, you have to know social media marketing, and you have to know how to fundraise. A lot of those things we didn't know how to do. And so having a network of people who were experts in all of those different types of things that we could reach out to was really, really valuable. And we still make use of that network today. Gotcha. How did you all go about establishing a dedicated client base? 
I guess I would describe it a little differently. <laughs> um, I think in beauty and particularly what we're building, we think of it more as community. Okay. I think the fundamentals of that is that there is a common interest, a common people, if you will, the so women of color who are interested in beauty and all of the conversation, the content, the products, everything is around putting that woman first. And so we really do think of it more as a community, right? This is a girl that's going to say, no, that blush color isn't for you. She's going to tell you the truth. She's going to hype you up. She's going to do all of those things, but it's also a two-way street. So we very much tell our community what we're thinking about and what we're doing. And they tell us right back whether they're into it or not. It's much more communal in how we think about that girl and how she is integrated into our processes every single day. But in the beginning, it very much was influencers and word of mouth. And to this day, been so helpful influencers and word of mouth who just enthusiastic customers who want to tell any and everybody they know about Minted and how we've solved their problem and now how they are very much advocates of the brand, right? They live it and breathe it. And so the press has been helpful. Paid search has been helpful. Paid Facebook and Instagram, all of these different marketing levers and functions that you can use to help aggressively grow your community. But at the base of it, there are really amazing women of color influencers out there talking about Minted and constantly introducing us to their audience and reintroducing us, if you will, and an enthusiastic community who wants to tell any and everybody they know, right? Like now we're your Christmas gift. We're your auntie's birthday present. All of those things because they're just so excited about the brand we're all building together. Okay. Thank you. That was awesome. You two have made history. You're the 15th and 16th black women to raise 1 million in capital. Can you talk to us about your experience of raising capital and being in the startup community and pitching your company to investors? Sure. The first thing I'll say is that we are the 15th and 16th reported black women to raise a million dollars. And I think that's important because not everyone does report when they raise. Not everyone is in a position to do it. And I in no way want to discount some of the women who came before us who didn't get a chance to do that. I think the actual number right now is something like 34 or 35 women as of today, which is still way too small. Right. Even if it were 54 or 64, it would be way too small. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to discredit them. But I will say, when I spoke about sort of having to be an expert in things that you don't know, mm -hmm. one of the things that we did not know and I did not know was fundraising. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that I started reaching out to our HBS network about really early and brought on an advisor, actually one of my former professors at HBS who has launched and sold two companies and is now running her third. I said, listen, this isn't something I know a lot about. I want to know more about it help me learn. From there, got on the process of started building our pitch decks. This is something I was doing on the road when I was in consulting. I'd build a deck, I'd build a slide, I'd send it to Amanda to get her feedback. I'd iterate, I'd send it to HBS friends to ask them, does the story make sense? Like, are you compelled by this? But I think nailing that initial pitch deck matters because mm -hmm. then that's the thing that really does tell your story. It tells why it matters, what the problem is, why you're solving that problem, how big the problem is, how big of a market opportunity there is, right? Because investors might be a big problem, but if it's a big problem that has no dollars and cents aligned to it, because mm -hmm. investors don't care. So spent a lot of time perfecting that deck and then spent a lot of time emailing and reaching out, trying to convince people to take meetings with us. And that's half the battle in the beginning when no one knows who you are is just getting people to sit down with you or take your call. I'll say now at this point, that's not a battle. Now people know who we are. People right. see the success. Getting meetings isn't the hard part. 
but it's still hard sitting down and pitching someone on why you should let go of millions of dollars on this idea, that small idea right now. So it was a grind. It was an everyday grind. There was no rich uncle writing us checks. There was no one sort of saying like, oh, I don't really get it, but here's a flyer. Here's 250 just because. It was hitting the pavement, cold emailing, calling every single day for several months. Got you. And just curious, how big is your team and how did you go about assembling your team? I think we're at 10 people now, which is very different from us. Last year was our first year in business. We spent most of it just a two-person team, me and Amanda. And later in the year, we brought on our first employee and we finished the year with two employees. So we were a team of four by the end of 2017. Mm -hmm. Now we're a team of 10, half of whom are part-time, half of whom are full-time. And I think assembling it has really been a process of referrals mostly. Mm -hmm. I like to say I'm in sort of like hunter-gatherer mode. As Mm -hmm. soon as I meet someone who I like, who's doing a role that we've talked about us needing, I'm on it. I don't waste time. I'm like, are you happy where you are? I've brought in a few people that way because yeah, we have big dreams, we have big goals, and we meet people that we think would be a good fit, we are aggressive about pursuing them. And I would say for any other startup, like building a team, we used a lot of consultants and part-time help to really date people kind of before you marry them and bring them on Mm full-time, really make sure their culture fit, that their expertise matches what you're looking for, that their timing aligns with your timing. I think there's just so much more flexibility that we have to really test a person out and make sure that they are a minted fit and like what we need to move us forward. We're just less constrained. And we've been able to build an incredible team because of that, just being able to be so flexible to what people need and what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Other than consistency for you personally, what have been the keys to your growth? So I'll say just curiosity. I think in this startup life, not only are you constantly having to learn new things, because like KJ said earlier, now you're responsible for everything, right? So you're constantly having to learn new things, but you have to keep that curiosity and not get like weighed down and keep looking for new things. There's always a new way to create a new product, always a new way to go after a new customer, always something that your competitive set is doing that you're not doing that you can maybe learn from or something happening in a totally different industry that you just now have to keep up on. And I think staying curious will always help you move forward. There's so many ideas that we've seen play out in different companies and different industries in different ways. And we've been able to say this little bit of it would work for Minted. And that seed of an idea has bloomed into something incredible for us. And so just kind of staying out there and constantly learning. Yeah, I think one of the keys to our growth is that we are really focused on solving problems for women of color as it relates to everyday beauty. And we say that to ourselves all the time so that we're not getting sidetracked, which I think in beauty is easy to do. Mm -hmm. It's easy to do in, in any industry, but in beauty, particularly when there are so many trends, when there are so many new things happening, it's easy to get sidetracked and say, so and so is introducing the new glitter bomb, whatever. Think like, do I also need to do a glitter bomb, whatever? I think what we end up saying to ourselves over and over again is, okay, this is our customer. This is our demographic. She's a woman of color. She's on the go. She needs easy makeup. She needs it to compliment her and she needs it to work every single day. So when we're considering what it is we want to release from a product perspective, when we're considering how we want to market to her, what sort of events we want to do to reach her, we're always coming back to that. And I think that just strategic focus is another thing that has really helped us sustain our growth. Love it. 
How did you deal with negative feedback as you were rising? If you received any at all, what did you think of it when you first saw it? Was it public, private, and were you prepared for it? Well, we get plenty of negative feedback. I think that's just a part of life. I think we don't get too much negative feedback from customers, but we do get it. We have had bad reviews, and we actually started a process early on where if you gave us a one or two star review or gave a product a one or two star review, because we got so few of them, like we would reach out, we'd email you directly and be like, hey, what went wrong? How can we help? Was the color wrong? You know, whatever it is. And we Mm -hmm. still try to do that today because we want to learn. We are not arrogant. We are not egotistical. We know we make mistakes and we know not everything works for everybody. Mm -hmm. So some of those one star reviews are going to be people who will never be satisfied with our makeup because what they're looking for is a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. But some of those people are probably what we found. They just didn't get the right shade on the right try. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, well, let us send you some more. We'd be happy to. We want you to find the right shade for you. But I think approaching negative feedback from a position of wanting to learn Mm -hmm. and wanting to improve is always going to be your best bet, whether you're a business or a person, whether you're getting feedback from a manager, whatever it is. People who can't take negative feedback and can't take that as a learning opportunity, I think, end up struggling a lot. And I'd say, too, we are absolutely out there as the faces of Minted. We're the founders. We're telling our story. We're in Facebook ads, putting on makeup. Where Our faces are very much out there. Yeah. And sometimes the comments are just, somebody hating, being ridiculous. And like that, you learn to laugh off. And it's also a part of the process. And we laugh in this office all the time. And there have been reviews where someone's saying something about the shirt we had on in a video or the whatever, and you learn what to listen to and what is noise and what to take critically and thoughtfully. And you just kind of keep it moving. But all in all, even the negative feedback, it's just one part of the entire process. And Mm -hmm. I think learning to balance all of it so that your day doesn't collapse from any one data point Mm -hmm. is real growth. Wow. Create Your Life family. I hope that you are really enjoying this episode. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors and let you know that our sponsors are giving special offers just for you. If you are a fellow busy podcaster who just wants to record and spend the rest of your time doing what you love, like working out at the gym with family and friends or traveling, use code CYLS for a discount on services when you go to podcastlaundry.com or call 347-871-8273 to schedule your consultation. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. What are some things that you wish you knew before jumping into being co-founders of a company? I think I'd want to know that even the most anxiety-inducing times, we will get through them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see the other side of it. And it can feel like so crushing. Earlier this year, we were in a program in California and it just wasn't the right program for us. I just was in such a bad place mentally and emotionally, like being across the country, being away from my husband and being in a program that didn't make any sense for us business wise was in a really bad place. And I just kind of couldn't see through it. Mm -hmm. And there have been other moments like that. So it'd be great if I had known sort of when we started this, yeah, there will be some really, really heavy times and some tough times, Mm -hmm. but you'll figure it out. You'll work through it because that's what you do. And you build up almost like a muscle of working through really tough things. And as that muscle gets stronger, you get better at it. Gotcha. What has been the biggest personal challenge that you've needed to overcome in order to be who you are today? 
I will say this is something that's just lifelong learned for me. This is Amanda came from a very middle class family in the South. We did things right and kind of very proper in a lot of ways. I started my career in investment banking and thought I was just going to kind of go through the ranks. When I realized I was very unhappy, I had to learn to chart my own path. That was scary. I mean, I had the support of my family, but they certainly couldn't provide me a lot of help along the way, guidance on how to figure out what do you want to do and how do you pursue a passion. And so much of this, I've either had to, again, stay curious to learn about or rely on friends and mentors to help me get over either my sense of risk or this idea of stability in order to pursue the thing I want. And I think it's just something I have to keep working on and pushing myself about, but I'm so happy I think about where I was in 2008 when I graduated from college to where I am now and that mindset that's just so much more about taking risk. I'm, I guess, proud of myself that I've gone this far. Yeah, I think one thing I've had to work to overcome and think I'm doing an okay job at it is I like doing things myself. Mm-hmm. I like knowing that it's going to get done the way I want it done. And in the past, it's been really hard for me to hand things off because I'm just, eh, you're not going to do it the way I want. <laughs> and I've worked really hard to get over that. And I think at this point, it's possible I've even swung the pendulum too far the other way, because now that I see how great it is when other people help you at things, I'm just like, <laughs> do it all. And that's probably not the right thing either. But it was a challenge, particularly early days. I think I was doing customer service by myself for way longer than I should have. But who else is going to do it the way that I'm going to do it, right? Like who's going to answer these emails with the love and the joy? But that's just so unsustainable. It's just, it's nonsensical. Mm -hmm. So it's something I think I am much better at now than when we got started. Okay. Who has been your biggest champion on your path to becoming who you are today? I think for me, I would probably say my husband. For sure, like my mom, my sisters, my dad, my family is so supportive. But I think my husband, because he has a front row seat to all of it, he has proven to be such a champion. When it gets really hard, when it's going really well, he's the first one at an event helping us set up, the last one there helping us take it down, the first one to show up with a bottle of champagne to toast whatever the latest milestone is, reminding us to toast our milestones. For example, we had our Matt's launch party last week here in Harlem. It was the end of the night, and Amanda and I were in the back room discussing staffing and logistics, and Kadar walks in, that's my husband, with two glasses of wine. And he's like, you guys should toast. You just threw your first launch party. It was a huge success. It was amazing. And we're like on to the next. And Amanda and I rarely remember to toast the big moments because we are always on to the next thing or debriefing how this thing went and figuring out how to solve it. So he's just always been so supportive, so encouraging, so excited. And it's really been a blessing. Gotcha. I would say my best friend, Bookie, what's tough is she lives in Oakland, the other side of the world from us here in Harlem, but (laughs) she calls after every event. She's the one FaceTiming me during some photo shoot. When she can come to a minted event, she'll fly in for it. She has been very, very supportive of us and like gone to the retreat and whenever she can be there, she is. And she just gets me in a way that is constantly pushing me which is what I need and what I think everyone needs and someone in their life. So I'm where I am certainly because of her. Awesome sauce. What does your peer group look like? <laughs> peer group. Like who's around you, ladies? Is it a bunch of entrepreneurs? Is it some people who are still working corporate? 
who are y'all hanging out with? Well, we have different cliques because Amanda has more friends than I do. <laughs> so I'll start because mine's small. I think on a shared level, Amanda and I have met so many fantastic, phenomenal female founders, mostly here in New York, but also in California as well. Mm-hmm. And we do stick close with them. We ask them questions. We email them when there's something we don't know. We give them advice when they reach out to us. So we have built a really strong support system of other female founders, which is amazing. But I will say outside of that, you know, I'm kind of on that Drake, no new friends. (laughs) I have my same people. I have my people from college and I have my people from business school and I've got like about five people from each. And those are my people. And that's just who I'm rolling with. I'm not good at making new friends. Create your life family. You hear KJ don't want to be my friend. Don't want to be our friend. You hear it, right? In reality, I would love to make new friends. I'm just not good at it. Amanda, on the other hand, everywhere she goes, she makes a new friend. So that's how we differ. Well, KJ, it's exaggerating. And we do have a ton of great, amazing women, friends from HBS that are entrepreneurs or in corporate that we're constantly hanging out with, grabbing drinks with, which is exactly what we're going to do tonight. Yes. So later after this interview, which we're excited. And those are just the girls that you're checking in with. How are you? What are you doing? And then also that for real, how are you? Have someone who's legit checking in on you. Yeah, I have my peeps from Howard, who I love. That's a strong community. The Black New York investment banking community. It's only a few of us, so we all know each other. HBS. Tons of friends there. And then my sorority. So I'm an AK. There's a ton of friends there. You see what I'm saying? She has about (laughs) 40, 50, 60 friends. Yeah. I'm that person that walks by Papyrus and I see a card and I'm like, oh, I know someone who would love this card. And then I send it. And that's why she has so many friends. Because she's (laughs) nice and she sends cards and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are wild. I'm a dork. So what can I do? Hey. So if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what would you be doing? Is there a career or a hobby that you've always wanted to pursue? Yes. There you go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I've grown up always performing, spent most of my time performing as a singer. But okay. before I went to business school, I spent a year doing stand-up comedy in New York. And it was so fun, but it was also just so hard. But I think if I weren't doing Minted, I think there'd be a big part of me who'd want to get back on stage, either singing or comedy or both. I also spent some time directing when I was in school, so maybe doing that. But I think something artistic for sure, something on stage, because that's just always been where I've been comfortable. I want to see your stand-up. I really want to see her do it. I need you to go on stage. Like I'm there, for real. Trying to get her to do it in the office, but she won't. I'm mm. working on it, though. So I've always had a passion for politics. Loved it. That's what I thought I was going to do for the longest. And I really want to have my own pack one day funding women in minority races, local races across the country, mm. just encouraging people that look like us to get involved and do more. And maybe that'll be my next phase. But I really want to get back into that. OK, love it. Now, if someone could come into your company today and help you with one thing, what would that be? What's your biggest challenge? I mean, the biggest challenge is there just aren't enough hours in the day and enough people. Mm -hmm. It's like we all need to clone ourselves. Yes. If there were two of me and two of Amanda, two Marissa's, two Nadia's, two Allison's, two Maya's, two Two Ed's, two Winnie's. Yes. (laughs) Then we'd knock it out of the park because when one of us got tired and got burnt out, it'd be like, all right, you tap in. Mm -hmm. I need to go take a nap. And then we could work 24 hours instead of the 12 we're doing. So that'd be great. Yeah. 
time travel or some limities. Didn't he have like a time ball that extends the day? Mm -hmm. Or like what Hermione used in Harry Potter. That's kind of what came to mind. If you could extend the day and be multiple places at once, that would be helpful. Okay. So thinking (laughs) in this universe is that you would need more people on the team? I don't know. But not just people for people's sake. It is a thoughtful progression of how we're hiring people. But even Mm -hmm. of the people we have right now, they are experts in the things they do, Mm -hmm. but they could also use more time in the day. I think startups, it's just so easy to get burnt out because there's always all the things you have to do, all Mm -hmm. the things you want to do, and then all the things that you're already behind on. If you could just be two people doing that, it would be more efficient. Because I will say, I've heard tale of startups who, you know, they raise and we raised around this year. We're very fortunate. And then they just start plugging their holes and their problems with people. Mm. And they do it too quickly. I think Amanda and I are really conscious of not being that startup. Mm -hmm. So we have the funds to have a team twice the size that we have right now. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't make sense for us right now. We are bringing on people for specific problems, spending the time to train them, spending the time to give them time to learn the role, all of those sorts of things. And just being really thoughtful about it, Because I think it is easy once you raise around to say, let me just throw more people at this before they've even gotten a chance to understand the culture, to understand the vibe, to understand Mm -hmm. how they work with your supply chain, how they work with your marketing agencies. So that's why I say it'd be great if we could all just clone ourselves, because I think our team today does have the expertise and the knowledge and the fit to get it done. But I think if we just got 10 more people Mm -hmm. right now, I actually don't know that that would be super helpful to us. Okay. Got you. So my next question to you, ladies, is can you swim? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, good. Because we're about to jump into the dolphin tank. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was oh. like, is that just a question you ask black people? Right. Kinda... I guess we're just oh, spelling black stereotypes. Got it. Cool, that's cool, funny. Cool. I hadn't thought about that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is rapid fire. Are you all ready? Yeah. What are your goal setting methods? How do you make sure that you're growing each year? How is that a rapid fire question? Rapid fire. <laughs> It's definitely rapid. <laughs> what are your goal setting methods? And how do you make sure that you're growing each year? Got it. Goal setting methods are we pick a really big number, put it on the wall, and we're like, that's the number we're going to hit next year, more or less. <laughs> yeah. And how do we assure we get there? Well, we break it down into parts that are reasonable. What does it take product-wise to hit that number? What does it take people-wise to hit that number? What does it take customer-wise? And then from there, we can break that into smaller parts. Yes. Okay. That's rapid. Y'all got it. Now, these other ones, I think y'all probably be able to answer them each. What was holding you back from creating your best life? <laughs> I don't get how these, I feel like rapid fire questions are like, what's your favorite color? Right. How old are you? Where do you live? What's your favorite drink? <laughs> Sorry. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all up in your business. I think before now, fear. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I spent a lot of time trying to make it happen, but only sort of dipping a toe in Mm -hmm. because I was too scared to jump all the way in. And I think partnering with Amanda helped me get over that fear. And now I'm living my best life. Same. (laughs) Okay. Top tech that you're using to make your business run smoothly. Google. Definitely. Yeah. Google Drive. Okay. Favorite quarter model that you live by. I'm going to go old school Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wooden eye. I picked the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's so lovely. (laughs) I'm going to go with well-behaved women seldom make history. Mm, I like it. Favorite or most impactful book that you've read? Mm. I like that. That was like in unison. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so read this in ninth grade, changed my life. Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. First time I read a book about a woman who just was on her own shit, pushing back, saying what she thought, and then had to deal with the consequences of it, but ultimately got what she wants, so it was worth it. I'm going to go with Waiting to Exhale. (laughs) 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 Only because I distinctly remember being 13, and my mom was like, when you turn 13, you can read it. I read it. And, you know, there's some grown folks stuff that happens in that book. OK, wrong folks stuff. And I remember thinking, yeah, one day I, too, will like be a grown woman and have to face some of these grown challenges and just kind of feeling like I grew up a little bit reading that book. And also as a black woman author, shout out to Terry McMillan. Like I try to read black authors often. So, yeah, I remember that being impactful for me. What was your favorite scene in the movie? Obviously, when Angela Bassett burns all his clothes, okay? And now I'm really scared of y'all, both of y'all, because Amanda over there side-busting like, yeah, yeah. See? I'm not messing with y'all. Hands down. That taught us all a lot, okay? Now, what did it teach you? I'm so curious. First of all, <laughs> first of all, now I know I'm in trouble. Empty out first the whole closet, take okay. all his possessions. Exactly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. When somebody does you wrong, you don't just get back at him a little bit. No, no, you got to get back all the way. You yes. got to burn every suit. You got to start a public fire. Yes, she burnt the car. She said, "That's how much I don't care anymore." I'm, I'm gonna pray for Kadar. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for that brother. He knows. <laughs> Exactly what it is. Create your life, family. I want you to know that I'm scared. Right now, I'm scared. (laughs) Three jewels that you would tell someone looking to create their best life. I'd say, one, you are smarter and more capable than you're probably giving yourself credit for. Mm -hmm. Two, there are going to be a lot of people along the way who will doubt you, but you're the expert in you. Mm. And three... If it's not fun, whatever the it is that you're pursuing, you probably won't be able to make it last. Those are my three. Oh, those are good jewels. Oh, thanks. Get you a strong group of people around you. Not yes people, not people who just hype you up, people who are going to tell you the truth and hype you up all at the same time. Hug you when you're down, drink with you when you're up, all of those things. And it takes time and real effort to cultivate that group and be just as a part of it, not just be taken from it all the time. So that's one. I would say stay curious. Life is both long and short, and you better find a way to entertain yourself in the midst of it to keep growing and move forward. And take care of your emotional health. There are a lot of real things that happen in life. And I think it's easy to just say, oh, I'll push through it. I'll move forward. Get you help. Check on the people around you. Make sure as you're out there saving the world, you're saving yourself. All of those things will be important every step of the way. Gotcha. And so what's next for you, ladies, in Minted? World domination. Love it. Starting tomorrow. Yeah. We've got global dreams. Yeah. Big vision. So we're going to continue releasing amazing products. We're going to continue hosting fantastic events, not only all over the country, but eventually all over the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to start shipping globally soon, dot, dot, dot. And we're just going to keep dreaming big. I think Amanda and I are dreamers, but we're also doers. It's a good combination. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. We're going to keep killing it. And I was just going to say, and keep growing our community. Keep telling women of color that they are beautiful and they deserve everything. And as much as we can be a part of that process, we will. How can someone go about finding minted products? Yeah. Yeah. Mintedcosmetics.com. 
Mm-hmm. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Minted Cosmetics. Okay. And what's the best way to keep in contact with you ladies if our listeners have any questions? Uh, I'd say reach out the gram yeah. or email us at hello at mintedcosmetics.com. Can you provide us with your Instagram handles? Oh, sure. Mine is at I am underscore KJ. So my Instagram is private, but you can at Minted Cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. And so now we've reached a point in the interview where it is time for the turnaround. And what that means is, is that you get three questions that you get to ask me any three questions and I have to answer. I guess that means a total of six questions for you (laughs) because it's two of y'all. You are the interviewer. I am the interviewee. I only have one request. What's that? Please be gentle. (laughs) (laughs) What character are you most like on Insecure? Oh, it's good. I don't even watch Insecure. Oh, Lord. Well, that says it all. But Elon is my fraternity brother. Do you know Elon? Uh-huh. Daniel. Okay. I don't know what he does on there, but... So I don't have an answer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Stay safe. I'd work um, on it. I don't know that I'd go with Daniel, but okay. Okay. So yeah, just scratch um, that. I don't have an answer. <laughs> what is your favorite book? What Makes the Great Great by Dennis Kimbrough. Okay. I haven't read it. What's your favorite cocktail? I don't drink often... However, probably an old-fashioned. Okay, good Classic. choice. If you didn't live in New York, where would you want to live? Africa. Where in Africa? I like Johannesburg. Johannesburg is love. I would also consider moving back to Cali, probably like L.A. I guess my final one will be, where do we rank in terms of <laughs> your interviews, best to worst? You guys are definitely one of the funner interviews that I've had. Y'all are hilarious in that waiting to excel part. That's too funny. So to be honest with you, I've had really good interviews because I'm very serious about the people that I pick for the interviews. And we had re-met again at, I believe, a stealth mode meetup. Amanda, I think I saw you there. I was with Jen. And KJ, you were there too. So we were all standing around for like a hot second. It was downtown in Soho. And it was in a bar and you had to walk down the stairs. All right. Okay. I can believe that. (laughs) (laughs) So my interviews are always really dope, in my opinion, because number one, I want you to be relaxed. Just be yourself and understand that this is designed to make you look good and to really find out how you're doing what you're doing so that our audience could duplicate your success and find some shortcuts. So we've had like some fun interviews, but definitely, you know, your transparency and y'all laughing, laughing at me, laughing at yourselves is all love. So definitely a great interview. Well, my last question would be, who do you most want to interview? What founder, entrepreneur out there would you love to interview? Kobe Bryant. Cool. Okay. Yeah. He's my favorite basketball player, but his work ethic and his ability to focus is so insane. More than LeBron? Absolutely. Whoa. That's some fighting words to the Lakers right now. I'm a Laker fan, but LeBron James is a great all-around player, but killer instinct and work ethic. Kobe Bryant is second to none. Even Michael Jordan said his work ethic is better. Okay. Cool. So. All right. Well, ladies, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. Oh, definitely will. This episode was brought to you by PodcastLaundry.com. I love Podcast Laundry. It provides a real solution to free up my time. And time is the only resource that we cannot get back. Podcast Laundry was created with love to help other fellow busy podcasters free up time so that they could do more of what they love, whether that's traveling, time with friends and family, or working on other ventures. If you want to free up your time, then have Podcast Laundry do the dirty work of note-taking, graphic creation, editing, show tagging, and uploading for you. Go to PodcastLaundry.com or call 347 1-8273 to schedule your consultation and remember to use code CYLS that's podcastlaundry.com 347-1-8273
or call 347-871-8273.